Today's guest is living every bookworm's dream, ditching his teaching career to buy a well-loved bookstore. We delve into what made him take the leap and what it takes to compete as an independent bookseller. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. I, um, and we were saying this sort of before the mics were, were on, Matt, but I am so excited to meet uh, and talk with this week's guest because I, this may sound funny, I know the smell of his bookstore. <laughs> in a good and, way. In, in a really good way. And I love it. And I it's know. like so many like vi- like visual memories just based on that smell. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so it's exciting. That- and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way. It's that musk of books. It is. Whether you're in a yeah. library or a yeah. bookstore. Like if you oh. are a book lover, you know that smell. It's like that contact high coffee lovers mm. get. That's what I get off of a bookstore. Yeah. You're like, it's like the mothership called me home. Like, yes, this is where I, my, I belong. <laughs> this is my people's. Get lost in That's it. That's right. I, I, we have such uh, cool memories of uh, as a kid and spending summers um, near the locations of of both of his bookstores um but it was like the big deal like if we went to peterborough we went to Keene, we we got to go to the bookstore and then of course you know you get to buy books that like i think i bought like the absolute coffee table book and this is absolute (laughs) vodka that they did all these ads with and it's it's a coffee table book it's just a book of ads of absolute vodka and it's the it's the neatest thing and i have all these like these interesting books that I'm just, I enjoy having on my shelf that you don't necessarily have to read. Um, but then they've got all these, you know, obviously the, the local books as well about local history, especially in Peterborough. Um, yeah. And, and, and the smell. (sighs) Oh, you know, you can track your life if you're an avid reader through books, like, you know, obviously children's book, but when you're like, you know, starting to come your own, like I, you know, one point was, you know, like a lot of kids in my generation, Hardy Boys. Mm. Then I graduated to Agatha Christie. Then I was full on teen years, Stephen King. Oh my God. You know, and then, you know, I got into like, you know, I loved the color purple and I wrote my mm. college essay based on that. That got me in, got me into St. Michael's. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just loved the feel of a book in my hand. Like I tried a Kindle at one point. Mm. Yeah, no. No, thank you. I'm on a screens all day i don't need it for a book i want to relax i want to have my own pace i want to be able to crease the pages yeah. and, and you know um and there's just something about that physical and i don't have as much time to read anymore mm-hmm. but then when i do you go through these spates like all of a sudden it's like boom all right i got three books out of my system and then <laughs> maybe five more months before i revisit but you know it's it's such a a, a wonderful way when you can take the time to get lost, to just get lost. Do you ever feel that time loss in a bookstore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a minute. How long have we been here? I know. And I just had a croissant and like I'm having a coffee. And when did we get here? Am I supposed to be somewhere else? I like it here better. <laughs> you know? Well, and, you know, it's such a loss, I think, of your neighborhood bookstore. I mean, mm. not that every block had one, but like your town generally had, you know, yeah. An independent bookstore. Right. And I get right. so jealous of like, you know, places like Concord that has Gibsons or P- 
Peterborough and mm-hmm. Keene that have our our next guest's um, locations of Toadstool bookstores, these wonderful locally owned bookstores that you can go in and talk to. You know, we went in uh, to before one of my kiddos was going to summer camp, wanted to load them up on some books. Oh, and cool. we're able to talk to like someone in that section mm. about mm-hmm. what is he like, you know, where he was with me. What do you like? You know, and like, oh, well, th- this might be something that might be like, you can't get that experience anywhere else. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know what we do? Let's dive right into that experience with this week's guest. Our guest this week is Emerson Sister, who, along with his parents, is the current owner of the Toadstool Bookshops in Peterborough and Keene, New Hampshire. A native New Hampshireite, Emerson spent his adolescence in Dublin, New Hampshire, before embarking out west for a number of years and returning east to be a high school history teacher. Emerson is very grateful to the greater Monadnock region for welcoming him back with such kindness as he returns to his childhood home to continue the wonderful tradition of literary excellence. Excellence in the tool uh, that Toadstool has provided the region for over 50 years. Emerson, welcome. We are uh, psyched to have you. And um, so you bought a bookstore. <laughs> but so here's what the were thing. you thinking? Not, not just any bookstore, but before we delve into the say nuts and bolts and the, and the future and the story of Toadstool. Um, Tell me about your first memories and interactions with the stores. And store, in this case, and I'm doing my quotes, almost feels like a dirty word because they are really so much more. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much for having me, first it's off. Our it's our pleasure. A, it's a real treat. Um, and, my, I mean, I grew up in Dublin going to the Toadstool in Peterborough, um, basically as far back as I can remember. Um, I would sleep over at my grandparents who lived in Peterborough for 48 years. Um, and then we would go to church on Sunday morning. Um, and I just have like crippling attention deficit disorder. And mm. so I would sit there with my little sketch pad and just start doodling all of the, um, the, the stained glass windows. And then at some point, my grandmother would have to get me out of there early. Um, and she'd be like, I can't take you anywhere. Uh, and I'd be like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just having a good time. Yeah. Um, but then we would go down to the toadstool and I was like, I was like safe. You know, that was like my, that was like my, my religious experience was like being six, seven, eight years old and just kind of like going straight for the section that I wanted. Um, and she'd be like, you can get one. And I'd come back with like nine. <laughs> And she'd be like, you can get three. And I would put away four. And she'd be like, fine, you can have five. And, and, and I'd be like, yes. Because grandma's rock Exactly, because yeah. grandma's rock, right? That's right. That's a, that's a huge shout out to every grandma on earth. You know, you guys rock. She uh, knew going in what oh, she was yeah. getting yeah, into. Exactly. She's like, I'm going to enable, I'm going to enable this specific part of my grandson just to the ends of the earth. Um, and she did. I mean, uh, I credit her for... Um, not only my love of reading, um, but my love of learning. And, you know, I thanked her when I graduated from college and when I graduated from my master's program, I thanked my grandma for, um, you know, instilling within me that the idea that you can always be learning. Um, you know, what, whatever it is in your life you're doing, no matter how old you are, how proficient you feel in a specific um, sector, there's more to learn. And you're capable of learning too, and that's something I think you know a lot of people as they get older tend to forget. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're always capable of learning something new. Nice. Um, it just takes that little ounce of humility to say like I might not know this now, but I'll know this in a minute. And um, that all comes back to spending time at the toadstool with my grandma. 
So before you became a retail entrepreneur here, (laughs) you were in education. What led you down that path? And um, what specifically did you get into teaching? Yeah. um, I mean, teaching was always something I I wanted to do. Um, I was about 16 or 17, and I had this like really, really influential uh, English teacher. Um, He was a, a classics major at Harvard. And um, he was a young guy when he came to teach at the school I was going to, and um, he took a—he he just took extra time with his students. Like, he took extra time making sure that they knew what they were doing was important, um, not to necessarily to him or to the school in terms of, um, you know, the, the reviews or things like that in terms of making the school look good, but mm. to him in terms of the trajectory that we were going to take in our lives mm-hmm. and, the, and the moments we spent with him were important. Um, because it gave us a chance to focus on the things that we were really passionate about. And he always kind of empowered our individual passions. And so as I got older, um, I realized that that was something that I felt the need to to try my best to pass on to, to future generations, which was that, you know, whatever it is you're doing in your life, that's important and that's worth it. And you should have the support of the adults around you saying, like, you're doing a great job. Um, and so I got into teaching with that hope. Um, and I loved teaching. Um, I, I, I think teachers are, you know, real life superheroes in a lot of ways, um, and they absolutely deserve that summer break because um, it's it's <laughs> much yeah exactly. It's a little it's a, it's much shorter than I think people realize that summer break for mm. teachers. Um, but it really is like a twenty four hour job. I mean, you're working seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. Because um, when you think about what it takes to be a parent, you know, your job is never done as a parent. And so as a teacher, you know, you're, you're kind of like a proxy parent for 25 kids at a time. So <laughs> your, your job is never done times 25. Yeah. Um, and so I have, you know, enormous respect for um, teachers of all ages, um, particularly kindergarten teachers. Those, those people are just saints. I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I can attest to that yeah, as having yeah. a first grader. I don't know how yeah. you, I don't know how they do that, but they're, they're unbelievable. But yeah. when you went to school, it wasn't necessarily for a teaching degree originally, a little more esoteric than yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. can you talk about what you majored in, what that was about and what led you then to say, yes. I need to do something, get something that I, a more real world <laughs> application. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, I have a, I have a master's degree in, in the history of religion and philosophy with a specific concentration on uh, fourth century Christianity and the ecumenical councils that were happening at that time. Yowza. Whoa, um, hold on a second. How did you come to the focus? Like, uh, it was a lot of reading. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is, it was a lot of reading. Wild. Um, I love it. and I mean, the, the beautiful thing about, um, at least in my experience, the, the, the higher you sort of climb in terms of the educational ladder, the more focused things become. Like, mm. you know, in, in middle school, it's very general. And in high school, it becomes slightly more specific. In college, it becomes even more specific. And as a grad student, you're really focusing on like, you know, one or two things. And so when you get a chance to listen to these professors speaking about their specific passions, I mean, they've spent, you know, 40 years mm. looking at the span of like 12 months. In, in, in like the fourth century in like a random town in, you know, ancient Turkey. And it's incredible to listen to them, like this effusive, contagious passion that they have for, for whatever it is that they've spent their life's work doing. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, I, I, I caught the bug and um, I 
I think, again, you know, it, it has a lot to do with growing up um, with this love of stories and this mm. love of history and this love of narratives and, and also the, the love of kind of the life of the mind um, and, you know, finding this specific hundred years in, in Christianity where um, just so many ideas were being battled out um, through these through these specific councils. And um, yeah, I mean, I've never won a date talking about my grad studies. Like that's never, that is, that's never <laughs> happened. Um, I, I, I've never once impressed anyone at a bar being like, yeah, I could tell you all about this. And they're like, okay, I'll see you later. Dude. Would you like yeah, to see right. my collection of fourth century <laughs> Christianity? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Do you want to look at this really old Bible I have? Like, oh everyone's immediately like, I mean, no, you, we're out of here. You might kill some, some trivia. Oh yeah. No, this is, this is a secret talent of mine is, is like the second, the second um, either Seinfeld trivia or for whatever reason Jeopardy like you know goes off into uh, Christian history, I'm always like I'm on speed dial with my dad, <laughs> and he's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "I don't know, John. I got I got to flip this omelet, but here, here's the answer." <laughs> like, now, did your parents ever have to have the conversation of? Very proud of you, yeah. In the studies, but uh, what are you gonna do to support yourself? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I have. Uh, I, I think a lot of, or I hope a lot of children would would advocate that they have the best parents on the on earth, and and I really feel that way about mine. I have you know unbelievably wonderful parents, um, and I'm sure that I challenged them in a lot of ways as a kid, you know, with my various habits and you know running around and, um, but they've always really ad uh, like advocated for me to follow my passions, and sort of let that play out as it will. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, my, my, there was a time when I was a senior in college and my dad was kind of pushing me towards law school a little bit, um, to the point that he signed me up for the LSAT without telling me. Oh my God. Um, it was like a <laughs> Tuesday during finals week. And he's like, you're taking the LSAT on Saturday night. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, this is like a test that people study for years for. And you're, you're giving me like five days during finals oh week. Um, and he was like, yeah, I just want to see what you'd get. And so I took it and um we 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 quickly decided the law school wasn't for me <laughs> um, and I'm, i've never forgiven him i'm like dad you crushed my legal dreams oh my god uh, they look at the square wait never mind yeah exactly, exactly. i'm putting that away uh, that was lovely and all yeah, but... yeah yeah um but it i mean i think they always knew that i was i was angling towards teaching yeah um and particularly teaching in private boarding schools um and so they knew that, you know, my degree would have um, practical use there. Um, I don't know if they ever conceptualized. I know I didn't. Um, the, the sort of entrepreneurial route that we, would have t- that we, that we took. Um, I mean, even a year ago, uh, about a year ago now was probably the first time we met with the, the um, former owners of the Toadstool to have our first meeting um, and kind of like discuss you know, the, nut, the the nuts and bolts and the finances of it and all. Mm. Um, well, and let's so, explore yeah, I was that. Gonna say, yeah. How did, how did, how, how did passion those... for teaching then right. translate into this yeah. entrepreneurial yeah. journey? I think it was. As, and as and a, I want to know who sought out who here. Or is this, <laughs> did you know them too? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, as a kid, you have these like fantastical dreams of, of jobs. Like some kids are like, mm. I want to play for the Red Sox. And, and my fantastical dream job was I wanted to own a bookstore. Uh, but no one knows how to do that. Like, how, how do you how do you grow up and go to college and then own a bookstore? Um, and I was it was a combination of spending a lot of time in the Lakes region and going to like Innisfree Books and in Meredith, which I love, um, and also the Toadstool. And 
So when the Toadstool came up for sale in, I think it was early 2020, like Mm -hmm. maybe right before the pandemic started, um, I was working down at a school on the east end of Long Island. My dad, you know, shot me a text and he's like, the Toadstool's for sale. And I was like, ha, that'd be fun. And then I just like went back to work. Um, (laughs) And through the pandemic... And I, I changed schools. I went up to teach at a school in Maine, Gould Academy, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, and through the pandemic, um, I slowly became pretty burnt out with teaching. Yeah. Um, I mean, what the, the, the hard part about teaching is that you yourself have to put up your own boundaries because mm-hmm. um, the kids are always going to it's, – it's justified. They're always going to need more. But it's a very justified need. Like mm-hmm. they're children, you know, they need they need guidance at all times. And when you're living with them and eating with them and working with them, you know, 24 hours a day for the entire year and their parents are 6,000 miles away in Hong Kong, um, it becomes incredibly draining. Um, and I was slowly getting burnt out. And so we were discussing at Gould, you know, other avenues um, so I could kind of lighten my course load and work in admissions. Um, and at that time, my dad um, was like, hey, you know, the toadstool is still for sale. Like, do you want to just, like, have a meeting with Willard and, you know, just talk to him about it? Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, that'd be fun. I would, I'll sit down for that. And we went in, and um, Willard and I kind of quickly realized, I think, that we had very similar opinions of what the toadstool meant and what independent bookstores stood for. Um, and what books and literature and learning um, can do for a community. Um, and we, we just kind of went from there. Um, I think it was uh, about a month after the first meeting that I, that I resigned from teaching. Um, and then a month after that, I started at the Toadstool as kind of like an apprentice, uh, you know, learning the, learning the ropes of bookstore ownership and, um, and, uh, if, if anyone's listening to this ever goes into a bookstore um, and you, you think it's an easy job, that's the talent of the booksellers at hand. That, <laughs> I love that. That, that, is, that, is, that is a testament to how good that bookstore is at their job. They make it look um, easy. They make it look easy. Like, I mean, just think about trying to organize and keep track of, you know, in the Toadstool in Peterborough, we have 70,000 books. 70,000? 70,000, wow. yeah. So, I mean, just think about trying to keep track of 70,000 individual objects. Um, and so wow. to the to the point that when someone comes in and says, you know, I'd like crime and punishment, you can be like, you know, here's Dostoevsky behind my ear. Um, you can get it for them at the drop of a hat. Um, and I mean, that's it, it's it's a real uh, it, it's it's a wonderful profession. Um, and those really excellent booksellers in it that make it look easy, I'm I'm like constantly envious of because I'm like, wow, I want to get there someday. You guys make that look so simple. We were talking earlier about um, your, the transition in and sort of you know understanding that it's for sale and and you were doing sort of the the um, you didn't call it an internship but uh, you know uh, basically that to learn the ropes. Yeah, totally. Um, people start or buy businesses because they're passionate about something. It's Absolutely. pretty clear yeah. that we know where your passion is, right? <laughs> um, but what's that learning curve? been like from sort of reader and and uh customer to owner what's that been like what is what's maybe some of the things that have shocked you that you're like oh my god i didn't know it was going to be like this yeah um i think there it, it i i mean this is the first business venture i've ever experienced yeah, so right well and that um, too that you know that yeah there's I mean, a lot going on i i think 
having patronized the store mm. for the entirety of my life really helped mm-hmm. um, in terms of understanding like what the store means and and what we're trying to do. Um, but uh, the behind the scenes stuff is, is shocking. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was like floored um, at just the the endless deluge of sort of nitty-gritty financial decisions that are being made. Mm. Um, and especially in, in um, retail book selling, your, your margins are very slim mm-hmm. because um, the, the object at hand is priced by the publishers. And so you don't get to decide how much you're selling this item for, nor do you get to decide necessarily how much you're buying it for. Mm. Um, and so you have to operate within these very delineated margins and make the most of what you can. Um, and I, I was able to learn a great deal from the previous owners and, um, and they were wonderful in sort of shepherding me through that and understanding, you know, this is the percentage you, you really want to be spending on this specific expense, which will leave you this specific, ex- uh, you know, percentage of your gross revenue to spend on this specific expense. Um, and also it, it, you know, worked through all of those financial decisions has to be, um, what, what you guys kind of alluded to before, which is the, the cultural impact um, and currency that independent bookstores have. Um, so we really have to make sure that every you know, expense decision that we're making is always filtered through the sort of prism of what, what impact is this going to have on the, the soul of the store, because that's what people come to us for. Um, you know, if they know what book they want, they you know, this is not a secret. They can find it cheaper on Amazon. It's not a secret for anyone. Um, but they come to us because they're looking for uh, something a little bit more uh, tactile and emotional and sentimental, um, as well as personal. Um, and so we're really much more in the service industry, mm-hmm. I would say, than we are in like a retail industry. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the end goal is never to sell a specific book to a specific person. It's always to give a specific person the experience they were hoping to get. I love that. Yes. So yes. let's, I want to delve into that a bit more because I mean, it is a tough market to be in, in a world where people can order the book on Amazon or literally download the book from right, Amazon yeah. or go to one of the big box stores. And so, so what kind of service or experience are customers expecting that attract them to an independent bookstore? How do you build that loyalty and keep people engaged? Yeah, that's a great question. And and that's one that um, I think my girlfriend is tired of me mumbling around the house <laughs> as I'm like, w- I'm like making my toast. I'm like, how do I keep these people coming to the store? <laughs> um, and she's like, would you just relax? Um, but it, it really comes down to the trust and the expertise. Um, it, it's, it's very similar, I think, to... Um, this sort of craftsman mentality mm-hmm. of you know handmade shoes or um, fine craft goods, where your people are coming to the toadstool knowing that the people that work there are experts in their field. Yeah, um, and we live, eat, and breathe the books that are you know in our store, um, and so they can have an interaction with us that is you know hopefully very well curated to whatever it is they're hoping to have, whether it's a uh, someone comes in and they just want to know where a specific section is and we'll show them and that's all they want from us. Or if they want to come in and they want to sit down and they want me to show them, you know, six different books that they might get their daughter for a graduation gift um, and why those six are the ones I picked. Um, it really comes down to the community trusting that, you know, we're experts in our field. And also uh, we're trusting that the community is hoping to 
um, desire something more than an algorithmic shopping experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, the you know Amazon and all these other stores, like they have this recommendation tab sort of thing where they're like um, uh, summating whatever you've purchased. And they're saying like, this is very similar to what you've right. purchased. Right. Um, but it's at best, it's an approximation. Mm-hmm. And when they come to us and they say, you know, I really liked this specific book, we can ask them, you know, did you like the prose? Did you like the plot? Did you like the characters? Do you like this author? Do you like their writing style? And then we can take that and we can move it in a different direction than necessarily they may have gone with it or an algorithm would produce for them. Yeah, less transactional. It's very, uh, and, yeah, it's and, much more um, personal. Right, and it's much, much more personal. Exactly, that's, yeah. That's your differentiator, right? That's exactly right? it. And, that's um, exactly it. I think we've, because we buy so much stuff online or we, you know, just go and, you know, grab the thing and give it to the person. And the person behind the register is simply that just a person behind the register. But it's pretty clear that you, your family, the folks that work with you guys are not just people behind the register. You know, you're, you're uh, learned, you're excited, you're passionate, and you can make recommendations, personal recommendations. Absolutely. It's wonderful. And I mean, the, the beauty of the Monadnock region, and I would say, you know, greater New Hampshire as a whole mm. is that, um, people here have very strong opinions <laughs> and they have, and because of that, they have very strong preferences. Yeah. And when you can, res- when, when you can find someone that is willing to respect your preferences and curate an experience based on whatever your preferences are, that's something that brings a lot of people great joy. Um, and not only that, we're really working very hard to make sure that it's always a person-to-person interaction. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't like sending emails saying, your book has arrived. I, we want people calling and saying, you know, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm from the Toadstool Bookshop. Your book is here. And then they come in and they go, I got a call from this person. Is he here or is she here? Because I'd like to pick up my book. And that's really exciting because <laughs> you get to see the community begin to buy into the store. It becomes mm-hmm. the community store as opposed to, you know, a bookseller store or something like that. And that's, at the end of the day, what it really is, is, um, you know, I view myself and um, I, I hope the staff, which of which we have an incredibly wonderful and talented staff, we're, we really view ourselves more as curators of, of a community store um, that belongs to the community. And we work for the community and I work for my staff. Um, trying to support them as they support the interests and the passions um, of of our community. How did you manage to balance that and get the store through the pandemic? I mean, this is when you bought it, during, you know, when the world kind of shut down and people did go in droves online because they couldn't go out anymore. And as a business that relies on that interaction, how did you make sure that your customers weren't going to go away to Amazon or the Barnes and Noble because they're online anyhow? How did you how did you keep that going during that pivotal time? Yeah, so that that was actually the tail end of the the previous ownerships, um, and we bought it um, in February of this past year, so we're about six months in. Gotcha. Um, but the residual um, sort of shift that I would say the the greater world economy took into this, um, you know, online, really much more of a product-based purchasing power um, is something we're still kind of dealing with and we're still kind of approaching. But thankfully, um, in some ways, the, the, the timing of the purchase of the stores 
uh, benefited from the sort of snapback, I would say, of mm-hmm. that, where people were so tired of the algorithm producing what it thought they should buy that they were dying to get back to hearing what a person thought they should be interested in or p- thought they might like. Um, and I think that's what I would say is is the real differentiator in terms of the al- uh, uh, an algorithmic approach to providing a, a retail experience versus a personal one is gotcha. it's not necessarily pr- saying like you you should buy this it's saying like you might like this you might enjoy this um, and giving the person the agency then to tr- to to purchase it on their own so with 70,000 books yeah. on hand that's a lot of stock <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. and and it's not like it's static i mean obviously yeah, sure. uh, hopefully it's churning yeah because there's always something new coming on the market so how do you go about making the decisions as to what to bring in how do you strike a balance between having the best sellers everyone's yeah, going yeah, after yeah. versus also having that hidden gem that you are hoping you're going to discover at your book independent book oh store? totally that that's 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 a great question um because my my friends and i were discussing this uh recently and I, was, I became aware that uh, uh, one of my oldest friends and her fiance had been having a discussion saying like, there's no way that Emerson chooses every single book that comes in the store. And the other one <laughs> said like, no, he must just like fill out a sheet. And like they just, the publisher sent him. I, I literally choose every single book that comes in the store. Like every, wow. every book that shows up, I've handpicked. Um, and it's an incredible time investment. Um, but it's, it, that, that's, the most important thing function that we have is that at the end of the day, we're members of our community and we understand the morals and ethics and interests and passions, as well as the identity of our community. And we hope that we can do the best we can to, you know, provide them reading materials that not only cater to their current interests, um, but also respect a diversity of interests and most importantly, uh, enable them to discover new interests and to sort of push the community I- in a direction that it wants to go. Um, and so it's, it's a great deal of sort of like balancing the intuition of growing up in the Monadnock region, trusting our sales reps coming from, you know, Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House and Macmillan Publishing House and all these different things where they're saying, you know, this book from this Canadian author, it, it's going to be big. And so we, we might take a risk on that. And also saying like, you know, hey, I know that in the Monadnock region, people absolutely love natural history. They love nature. They love the sciences. Um, they love discussing politics. And so we're going to make sure that we're getting the books that center around these ideas um, so that the community sees itself on our shelves. Um, and they feel at home and, you know, in, amongst the 70,000. <laughs> I love that. Um, to, well, to that end, I have a little story for you. And then I want to ask you about your parents who are oh, also sure, involved yeah. in this venture with you. But um, one of my uh, fond memories is, uh, so I love Peterborough. I also love uh, the McDowell Colony. Oh, yeah. And everything totally. that they're doing. And I was in the Peterborough store. This is years ago when I was a kid. And um, I saw a book on the shelf about the colony. Yeah. And it was like an, their anniversary or something that they sure, had published sure. this book. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's descriptive. And there's gorgeous photos. And I thought to myself, I have to get this. Because this <laughs> is not going to appear in any other bookstore That's on exactly any other it. shelf. Because that, just like you said, is part of the community. Like, you're, you know your community. Obviously, they're a, they're a piece of that. Right. Um, 
but I just, I just love that. I love that, you know, you won't otherwise discover something. Um, and even if you're not from that community and you think, wait a minute, what is this? Or maybe I've heard about it. I'm going to get this book that you wouldn't have had in, you know, some giant bookstore or online even or somewhere in New York. Who knows? Um, so love it. Love it. Love it. Um, <laughs> Like I said, though, your parents uh, yeah. are part of the venture with you. Um, what are the roles like? Are you playing a major role? Are they playing uh, different roles in the operation of the business? And, and of course, the big question is, how's that going? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I love working with my parents. Good. Um, Good. I love working with my parents. Um, I am particularly blessed, I think, to have two parents who are um, not only as intuitive as an, and intelligent as they are, um, but also as academically um, respected as they are. You know, my father has four different degrees. Um, and for people who have that much life experience, uh, that much educational background, and that much professional experience mm. to still value the opinion of a 29-year-old and to ask me, you know, do you think, what do you think about this? And not to be doing it in sort of a virtue signaling performative way, but to mm -hmm. be genuinely curious. You know, what do you think about this decision? Um, whether it's a financial decision or it's a decision about the color of the paper bags we have in the store. Um, I, can, I think I'm, you know, really, really blessed to have parents who, who are willing to do that and make that effort. Um, and so, I, you know, I respect, the, I, I respect my parents to the ends of the earth and, and I'm, I love working with them. Um, they're both, you know, clinically insane for sure uh you know they're, they're both like chronically out of their minds uh but i think that's you know that's what all kids say about it, their parents right like yeah. you know they're nuts but i love they're them. nuts but i love them you know and, what I mean? and as a parent i can assure you you played a role in that yeah, yeah no, I, I, I have no doubt you know when i when, when i see my dad like take a deep sigh i'm like i've seen that sigh before and it's when you picked me up after i got kicked out of woodworking class like i know that sigh <laughs> Um, oh you know, it, and so it, it's that beautiful balance of, you know, saying, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy, but you have so much experience and so much wisdom and so much kindness. Um, and they're just like, so excited about this. Like, um, I was just at the store this morning, you know, just doing some, some quick things. Um, Mondays are my days off. Mm. And I walked in and my mom was just there. Like she, she was just there, like straightening stuff up, you know, getting things organized, asking questions. Um, she makes the joke all the time that like, Emerson will never let me on the registers. He's, he's nervous <laughs> that, I'm gonna, that I'm gonna mess it up. And I, and I tell him like, we'll get there, we'll get there, mom, we'll get there, you know? Um, and Plenty so, of professional development. That's right, we got, a lot of, we got a whole professional <laughs> development training just for you, mom. <laughs> Uh, and most of it centers around not telling everyone how proud of your son you are. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's what most of it centers around. It's like, mom, like lay low on that, would you please? <laughs> like, don't scare them away. Um, but you know, they're they're both playing you know really vital roles. Uh, my father is um, he he was the town manager of Jaffrey for about twelve years. Um, and then he was the town manager of Salem, New Hampshire, uh, as well. And then um, he was deployed in Iraq um, for about two years and came back 
um, and has uh, a legal degree and has been working as an in-house counsel um, for New Life Medical in Manchester since mm. then. I feel so inadequate right now. I know. <laughs> I, know. I, know. I mean, think about it. Like, that's what I grew up with. I like, looked at this guy and I was like, what am I supposed to do in my life to, <laughs> to somehow measure up to this? Um, and then I like looked across at my mom and it was like the total opposite in the sense that it wasn't a professional thing that I was constantly trying to achieve looking at my mom. It was the the unending patience and kindness that she approached every single human and personal interaction in her day with. Um, she never, it, it was unbelievable. I don't think I watched my mom lose her patience with someone other than me or my father uh, in maybe 30 years. <laughs> Sounds like, about right. Yeah, but, exactly. Like yeah. she keeps it for us. Um, but it, it, it's really special to get to work with your parents. And I'll never forget um, the, the, the moment in the first meeting we had um, where, you know, I'd always been told kind of like how smart my dad was. And, um, and we were sitting there and we, something became apparent that like, oh, wait, we might be able to actually do this. And I just like watched my dad like click, like his whole body like clicked on. And immediately, like, there were, like, 15 questions that he just, like, rattled off that nice. I, had, I hadn't even, like, conceived mm-hmm. of what he was asking. And I'll never forget that moment when I was like, holy smokes. Like, you are as smart as people told me you are. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just, like, you know, my hair's blown back. I've got, like, my skin pulled back on my face, like, watching this brilliant man. Um, you're like, oh, wow, you're a person. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right, exactly. Right. You, you see your parents as like how the rest of the world sees them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was cool. It was really, really cool. Um, and uh, they're taking on more and more prominent roles. Um, you know, John, my father, um, I have this like very weird um, idiosyncrasy of calling my parents by their first names. Um, which started as like being a middle child and I think wanting to like kind of poke at them. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I'll, I'll never, uh, I, and for some reason they let it slide. And now it's like this moment of endearing when I, or endearment when I'm like, dad, you doing okay? Or dad, I love you. All these things. Or mom, I love you. Um, because they're so used to call, me calling them John and Kathy. Um, and so John is taking on a, a you know, more and more prominent role in sort of the financial side of things. Um, he's doing our book. He's going to be doing our books and analyzing the uh, the finances as they come in to try and maximize the, those kind of set margins that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Um, and my mom is like constantly uh, engaging the community and, and does this like unending. Um, I, I sometimes have to like reel her back in because I'm like, mom, mom, mom. We're not a not-for-profit. Like, <laughs> like, you, you can't sponsor every single like like tea tea party on every single Sunday <laughs> afternoon in every town in the Monadnock region. Um, or maybe you or know maybe what? you can. Maybe yeah, you can. Yeah. And and, and the, the beauty of it is like I, I love watching them work because um, you just see this like um, this this beautiful balancing act of of this pair of people that work in perfect like synchronicity with one another where one is pushing constantly um, for for the heart and one is like constantly exercising the mind um, and it, it's really really fun to kind of get get to be a uh, like a part of that and uh, I'm constantly telling my brothers like you know you guys got to see this like this is this is pretty weird. This is pretty weird stuff. Something weird going yeah, on. Yeah, I called them like, guys, there's something weird going on with mom and dad. Like, they're, 
they were right. Like they are, they do know what they're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. Uh, oh, oh, I man. hope to one day hear that from yeah. my own children. Oh, you will. You will, yeah. you will yeah. for but, sure. Uh, so let's talk some books before yeah. we uh-huh. wrap up. So uh-huh. one, what are you reading? And two, what are uh, maybe a couple of recommendations you would give to our listeners right now? This is the best question. I love yes. this question. Like, thank you so much for asking that. Um, <laughs> I I will I will push. I, I will say that this is one of the best books I've read probably in the last five years, and it's coming out in August. Um, and it's called The Quickening by Elizabeth Rush. Um, she's a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2019 for her book Dispatches, uh, New American Shore. Um, and she is a professor at Brown who gets an invitation to um, take a scientific expedition to Antarctica. Um, and she's doing this right as she and her husband are considering um, whether or not they want to be parents in a, like a fragile ecological world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also right as the pandemic is kind of looming and rearing its head. And she is uh, in Antarctica looking at this glacier called Thwaites, um, which is, I believe, the largest reserve of fresh water in the world. And it's this very interesting glacier because it's, it's not grounded. It floats on the surface mm-hmm. of, of the Southern Ocean. And so they can send probes and things underneath it to figure out the ecology of what's happening in the ocean floor. Um, and she writes this incredibly beautiful extended um, meditation on pregnancy and parenthood and what it would mean to be a parent in a world that you're unsure of the future in. And somehow she ties that to watching a glacier uh, fall apart. Um, and it's spectacular. Um, wow. It really wow. is spectacular. I, I said to my... Um, not a light read. <laughs> not a light read, uh, but a very hopeful one. And I, I said to my girlfriend at the end, when I finished it, I was like, I never thought that I would be so fascinated by a 300-page metaphor on pregnancy. Like, I personally never thought that would be something that I was like, just couldn't get enough of. I read it in one plane ride um, from from uh, Boston to Seattle. Um, and, and that, yeah, it's an unbelievable book. That's great. Um, Maybe one more recommendation. Yeah. One more recommendation. Um, I would say, again, this is not a light read and, and maybe I'm probably going to go back to the bookstore and, and my colleagues are going to be like, why couldn't you just tell them about a comic book? Like, why couldn't you just give them something, <laughs> something casual? Um, yeah. The, the other one I would say is, is, uh, called the maniac by Benjamin Labatut. He's a Chilean author. Um, who is a historian of mathematics and physics, and he writes about um, this uh, contemporary of Einstein named John von Neumann, this very famous mathematician and physicist, um, and also sort of the the earliest pioneer of artificial intelligence. Um, And he does it in this really fascinating way where the book is a fictional account of a series of letters written about John von Neumann by his friends, and so he's done this extensive research into the sentiment of the social network von Neumann was a part of, and then he has fictionalized these letters by his daughter, by his wife, by um, by Oppenheimer, who he worked on the Manhattan Project with, um, discussing von Neumann. Um, and he culminates the, with this short, uh, this very very short uh, retelling of the AlphaGo. Um, AI simulation, which happened in like 2016 or 17, I think, in which a Go Go is this strange um, like 
board game that's played primarily in uh, in Asian countries where it's considered sort of like chess but on steroids mm-hmm. like it's it's very complicated and I don't understand any part of it um, but it was thought that if an AI um, could beat a human in go it would be a, a greater triumph than chess because the AI would have to comp uh, compute many more simulations um, and so it finishes off with that um, that little episode in in 2016 or 17 in which an AI beat um, the, the the great go master Lee Sodal um, and the architect behind that AI was a, a historian of John von Neumann. He was like, he, he was inspired by von Neumann. Um, so again, not a light read, but fascinating. Wow. Um, some, some definite books to consider. Oh here. my goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. This, 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 is, wow. this is why, again, some people love coming to the Toadstool because they get some recommendations and some people are like, just, just stop talking for a second. <laughs> like, would, you, would you just show me where the, show right. me where the horror is? And I'm like, fine, fine, fine. I'll take you. I think here. what it's doing is it's going back to your roots of like you go in the store and you grab nine books, right? Yeah. You want everybody to come in and grab nine books, and you oh, might as well tell them about a little bit about them or make yeah. some recommendations. So there you go. You were a salesman at heart, <laughs> as well as a as an academic and a liter- literary uh, as well. And um, I wish it wasn't time to go, but it's time to go. And um, if you need more of this, you can read those recommendations. You can go see Emerson and his family and his team and Peterborough or Keene. Um, Emerson Sister, it has been such a pleasure to have you. You're so well-spoken and so intelligent. And, and I think, obviously, the right individual and the right family to be running uh, Toadstool for the future. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, it, it was really a treat. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.